Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers Show. And today on Storymakers, we'll be talking about not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. But first, what are you working on? Well, I finished the draft um, that I was working on. I was having so much fun working on it. I want to say one, well, we'll talk about this, I guess, in our in our topic. But um, I finished the draft I was working on. I sent it to a, a friend um, and I started working on a different book, which was my plan, which, which I think mm-hmm. we'll get into a little bit in this podcast. Um, I am planning to circle back and do a quick reread of it, um, ideally once I get notes, but possibly overlapping while I'm waiting for notes because I would like to finish. But, um, you know, when, when you do so many changes so quickly, you, ha- you have to reread it because things change and it's, you have to kind of figure out what changed and that you, that you might've missed Mm -hmm. kind of not reading it as a whole. So it's like you get really close and it's, you're you're like close up and then you have to step back and kind of look at it. And in order to step back and look at a novel, you have to read it, which is a lot of work. (laughs) Absolutely. But that's, so that's where I am. And then I'm, I'm looking over some old notes on a different novel and kind of thinking about that. Mm -hmm. How about you? Well, you know, I have been down on myself for not getting more creative work done. And then this morning, as I was online learning how to build activities in Desmos, which is a graphing app um, website, and integrating it with the new LMS that we're using for the students and thinking about these different models. So we've got these different pieces of technology anyway. And so learning how to create a whole experience. And I realized today, you know what? I am actually being creative in my context. I'm not there yet and I feel bad because what I'm what I'm doing is learning as I go, so there's probably going to be this wonderful moment for students next year <laughs> where my understanding of how these different pieces fit together to create a holistic experience for learning, which is also very narrative. You know, if you run into a problem here, what do you do next? Those kinds of things. So that's what I've been doing. I've learned, been learning about uh, online teaching technologies that are not the ones we've been using and really how to think about a course as its own narrative experience, even if that course is math. And then, of course, we, we've talked a lot about a course as a narrative experience with a book in a year because mm-hmm. it really does sort of follow the seven steps emotionally somehow to produce, to go on the journey of writing a book. So right. it makes sense that it would have broader applications. Yeah. And now we're looking at, you know, the last, we're in April, right? And there's a traditional joke called the 180 days of May. <laughs> and, you know, it's just that everyone's catching up on everything. And, and this is an unusual time because our school has kept going. We're still sending out our progress reports, but, you know, looking back over the stuff I had written prior to the lockdown, you know, it's so not relevant at this point Mm. in some ways. Mm. So everything is sort of new territory for everybody. In what way not relevant? Well, for students, you know, I think I keep talking about the students that disappear, Mm. right? Um, I was looking back over some of the narrative evaluations I was giving And one student is this kid who, very self-deprecating, very sort of sweet, but brighter than he thinks. And, you know, he goes up and down. When he has a regular external commitment, he already has a challenging time. 
this scenario has completely removed him Mm -hmm. from our school interactions. So he's someone I think about. And the narrative that I gave was exactly what I just told you. He's a very competent young person who, if he can be supported to be more consistent, and of course, then the world was like, do you mean like this? (laughs) Well, there was a, there was a, uh, meme that somebody mentioned yesterday on our little hustled through Seder, which uh-huh. was like, I was thinking about it. It was like, cause it's, it, help me recreate it. It was, you know, humanity. We don't have, we're too, oh, it'll, it'll impact the economy too much for us to deal with climate change, for us to address climate change and then nature, hold, hold my, my beer. beer. Yeah. <laughs> It's yeah, so in, like I got that so intuitively that, and then later I was thinking about it, and I was like, "That's it's so abstract, almost, right?" It's just right. And then you know, everybody's response right now is so crazy. And and uh, you know, I'm not on social media, so I'm not seeing these memes. But my friend Justine was talking about one that's going around right now. It's like your alcoholic name, <laughs> and it's you take your first name and then your last name, and that's your alcoholic <laughs> name. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so that is where we are. Self-medicating. Self-medicating There's nothing name. wrong with that. Um, all right. So, so your topic is uh, don't Not, throw the baby out with the yes. bathwater. Meaning? Well, meaning that I think we all had a set of expectations based on what we were doing before about what it would be like to be at home. So if you were someone who had an office job, you might have had the misunderstanding that um, it was going to be all sunny and roses to come into your work, you know, home environment, that it would open up time that you'd spent commuting and stuff like that. And I want to say this topic actually is based on, I was listening to a Blinkist, they sort of have their own little podcast, which was a a check-in. And yesterday's check-in was about, you know, holding on to some of your old um, behaviors. And it was the story of this guy who was Swedish, and he was talking about how he used to walk to work every day and walk home. And now that he didn't have to do that, he was under the impression (laughs) that he would have more time and that that time would be great to spend with his two-month-old son and all of that. And I, you know, so they're looking at office work, mm-hmm. right? And, and how, how compatible is office work at home with a two-month-old? <laughs> well, I think there's a ritual also based in that, right? Um, eventually they solved it by, or he solved it for himself, by reinstituting his commute. Mm. So he would have his breakfast and his whatever with his family, like he has always done. Mm -hmm. But then he goes out for a walk. And what he finds is that over the period of time in that walk, he does what he always did, which was uh, thinking about your family, thinking about your family. And then at some point, your attention through through this activity shifts to what is to come. So then he starts focusing on the day's work. And then he returns to his bedroom and works. And he finds that that really helps him. And then conversely, when he comes home, he does the same thing so that he can leave work behind him. And as he's walking, yeah. And as he's walking, he shifts into, you know, oh, I'm still thinking about work. I'm still thinking about work. And now I'm thinking about my son. I'm thinking about my family. And now when I'm home, I'm ready to be really present at home. 
It's funny because Ellen Sussman talks about, I believe she's, she used to, um, you know, have two little kids at home and she would say goodbye and leave and, and like wave and kiss and blah, blah, blah and then like sneak back in uh-huh. to go work in another room. But like they couldn't know she was home. So mm-hmm. she would do this fake goodbye and so that she could be unavailable kind of. Right, right. So the, Hold the, that boundary. Yeah. So the kind of room. But this is, this is also the journey from like one set of tasks and mindset to the other. And if that journey is happening just because you open your computer, that might not be enough. Exactly. And I think what is true is that I think what he discovered and what I actually wanted to sort of build upon was that there were things in your previous systems and ways of being that were there for a reason and might still have a reason to be there. Right. So, um, so we're going to, we're going to kind of look at particularly with, with creativity, with the projects that you were doing or were trying to do, or maybe still are doing, but in a different context, how to, how to either keep going, forgive yourself for not continuing, get started, let yourself not get started. Like what are the kind of but also to understand, and to understand what are what are the th- how can you meld the things you used to do, like my cafe writing, to make it work for you when you can't do those things anymore. Right, and I think for people who are parents of school age children, there might have been routines that are radically upend- upended right now, and so that's also like, oh, how do you reflect if you were if you were always a freelancer, if you were always someone who worked at home, how can you reflect on? those systems when you're sharing space and the demand for your attention is radically different. We, we, we heard about a close friend who um, drives a lot for work and he, and he, somebody mentioned he was just sitting out in his car in the driveway a lot. <laughs> I kind of love that. Yes. You know, that's a little like the, the walk to work, right? It's mm. like, all right, I'm driving to my next appointment <laughs> yes. in my driveway. <laughs> You know, and that's interesting, you know, because you are, he's, he's a person who had a route, you know, he had the Prius so he could drive everywhere. This is way even less impactful on the environment though, to do a just in your driveway without turning on the engine. It's true. (laughs) But the point being that he's someone in his day-to-day work, spent a great deal of time in his car and, you know, was seeing big swaths of the state on a day-to-day basis, Mm. right? San Jose to Napa and beyond. And I actually just suggested to a friend who is homeschooling, you know, teen twins um, and with with spouse at home, uh, you know, not us, another person. (laughs) Um, I was saying, you could just go sit in your car, right? If Mm -hmm. you know that it's like, you know, it's not not the cafe, but it's outside the house. Yes. Yeah. Um, So... Yeah. Well, I will say that the kind of miracle for me of this has been that I have a a very, like a small group of of three other friends whom I meet with pretty much every day at 8 a.m. via Mm, Zoom. mm -hmm. And it, it, it's not quite like going to the cafe because sometimes, you know, because I can, I can be available. Um, on the other hand, like I always call you from the cafe and stuff. So it's not as, I mean, the cafe is a wonderful you know, workplace because it has a lot of flexibility. And I've also been doing some cafe writing with a group of author friends, you know, what I call virtual cafe writing. And again, it's like, there's a lot of like, well, what if I have to get up and do this or 
put my contacts in or, or do something unrelated to my creative writing? Like, am I allowed to? And it's like, absolutely. Just like if you met us at the cafe, you'd sit at the table and then you'd hopefully be inspired. To and do fewer people work. would look at you oddly if you were putting your contacts in. <laughs> At the cafe. At the cafe. <laughs> well, I mean, and then people, you know, when, when you're actually cafe writing, people get up and take walks and go make a phone call and use the bathroom and order another coffee and, and do check email and do whatever. You know, you still have to work out your internal routine, but, the, but there is something powerful about being with other people. And there is a call towards your creative work, a sense of like, I should be doing my creative work, not in a punishing way, but there's so many should demands that are easy to capitulate to mm-hmm. in in favor instead of your creative work. And so to have that little pressure of like, oh, I'm sitting here with my creative writer friends, maybe I should be writing. Again, should is, you know, that word, don't should all over yourself, but could be, would be, have, make want to make space for. So so that's my biggest blessing of the whole thing mm-hmm. and something that I sort of imagine continuing. Mm-hmm. Like in my ideal world, I would get to go out to my, you know, 6 a.m. bar class and stuff like that, but that come and be like, and then, it, you know, and then everyone would leave the house <laughs> and then it would be empty at 8 a.m. and I would log on with my friends and we would check in and do our work and, mm-hmm. and you know, and, and it's an hour and then sometimes we keep going, but there's like that little check-in and how's it going and what's your goal? And I mean, that's been amazing. To, right. You know. So I, I will say exercise has really dropped off. That's the yes. thing. Instead of creativity, that's the thing for me that's been hard to keep going. Yes. So it would be interesting then to do the exercise of looking at what worked for you before around that. And you're a very social person. And so you had really tied a lot of your exercise and even your creativity to other people. Right. And you found a way to solve your current issue for creativity by continuing to lean into that piece for yourself. So really to solve it, you need to find how can I have a community experience around exercise. It's, that is 100% it. And, um, you know, I don't know if I mentioned this last the last podcast, but... Uh, but you know, my Zumba teacher who I love and who's just this incredible, you know, sort of open hearted person who creates a lot of space for people. Um, and she started doing Zumba online and it was great. And, um, and then just what it evolved to was her having pre-recorded it and playing it, but she's still there and there's like happy hour tea or different things before and after this is like a whole social element. But the fact that she's not doing it live has totally psychologically derailed just me, you know, as other people are there doing it live and some of them even let you see them. So it's not, but it's so funny. It's like, that's exactly what I need. I need another person doing it too. Mm -hmm. I mean, clearly like that's how I have children and that's how I write. (laughs) I'm like, it's amazing. I do anything by myself. (laughs) So going back to sort of this overarching idea that even though we are are in these extreme times, there are things that we can lean into, but we need to recognize what they are. So if that's my mega one, what what is yours? What's kind of funny is you were talking about, I have a low threshold for boredom. So I, as I was thinking about our friend who sits in his car and I was thinking about exercise, I was reminded of... This six-week boot camp I took, and it was like six o'clock in the morning. It was when I lived in the city. I lived like way over on Oak, and it was way over in Chrissy Field. So it was, you know, a huff to get there by city terms. (laughs) And 
I did it, but she always started the class with this little jog around this little square patch next to the marina. And I got so bored of that. I got so, so bored of that. And I started running the opposite direction. So everyone, she would do it the same way, same direction every time. (laughs) And finally, like week five, and I was so proud of myself for making it that far. Week five, I started running the opposite direction. And week six, I didn't make because I couldn't. (laughs) And it wasn't the physical part. It was that it was boring. Mm. So for me, leaning into the things, you know, I normally spend time doing classes online. I do a lot of online learning. I do a lot of, I mean, so there's things that are super available now and super reasonably priced Mm -hmm. that I'm not taking advantage of. And in part, it's because I haven't figured out how to have those open space times. You are very busy, in fact. Um, But what I just reconnected with, I had talked to you about wanting to sort of redo the artist's way. But the thing I also realized more than anything else is those morning pages which I've done off and on again, you know, that joke about, you know, I can quit smoking, you know, quitting smoking is easy. I've done it like 30 times. times. Yeah. Um, with those morning pages, I actually do open up that brain space. Like I can mm-hmm. get to that brain space. And I've been so inundated with sort of kids' needs, school needs, you know, getting, you know, the things I haven't gotten done, my own emotional response, like all of those things, but I've not been having a place where I can kind of put them in a way that I can deal with it. And so I actually started this morning to start going back through and writing in a journal, which I'll probably lose in the next day or two. But that's an old thing that I used to do that I think will be hugely helpful in this moment because so much moves that having that one morning pages location is going to be my anchor. Yeah. So no, I mean, that's a, that's a huge tool for me. It's, it's funny because this morning I woke up and I'd worked on an essay that I needed to work on, but not well and not deeply. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do my morning pages, which I almost always do. And um, and I think, you know, Mondays and pandemics and I don't know, it's a lot of things all coming up at once. Pandemics and Mondays always, <laughs> always bring me down. So, um, and that is just this amazing space, that kind of dream boundary, like the moment when you wake up before everything has descended even if I'm writing a to-do list, like I, there's still just so much I can get mm-hmm. kind of open to. Right. And so, um, yeah. So it's interesting because, you know, I think about like, for me, tennis was hugely important. And again, because it was the social component, it kept me entertained. Oh, I wish you could do tennis. So really, like, how do you do some of those things? And it's, you know, we're going to have to figure all of those out. But I think today I just wanted to talk to folks about the wisdom they already have in what they used to do. It doesn't mean everything has to go out the window, but what might be a strategic application in your life of something that worked for you that you forgot you had. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, you know, there are probably like three things we can all do at this point. It's like, it's like, Everybody's ensure the survival of everybody you're responsible for, whether that's mm-hmm. you or a larger group. And, you know, and the well-being, right? The well-being and survival of everybody you're responsible for. Um, and then 
whatever work you're responsible for, right? Mm. Um, and each of these is like huge sort of realms because the well-being and survival is like is everything from like dishes to, you know, following the news <laughs> um, <laughs> to, you know, whatever and shopping and all those terrifying things. And then, you know, and then the work component and, and handling the, all the changes in the work component. And so then it's like, okay, so then there's exercise, there's your relationship, there's, you know, which, which doesn't like the survival piece doesn't cover all of that, right? There's relaxing and recuperating and self-care. I mean, there's just, and it's like, there's only really room for like one other thing. Probably. Well, I actually think this goes to, you know, personal expectations about what you ought to be doing at a given moment. So I don't think it's, you know, even, even being responsible for other people's survival might not actually be what you think it is. Mm. Yes, that's true. Lowering (laughs) expectations was some excellent advice we received. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to share a quote, and this is from um, Brass Ring Daily, which is um, Cara Kutrazula. She has this great way to remember how to say her name, and I'm not remembering it, but um, Cara Kutrazula something like that. She's wonderful. And she does this daily uh, newsletter. And she has a quote from Leonard Bernstein. To achieve great things, two things are needed, a plan and not quite enough time. Mm -hmm. And I really love that. I think that's, you know, I mean, I've talked about deadlines before as another um, great tool and just, you know, readers, somebody on the other side, you know, listening, expecting something, hoping Mm -hmm. for something. That's another great tool. Um, yeah, so you've, we've talked about the social aspect. We've talked about variety, not getting bored. We've talked about um, you know routines and rituals that include the social aspect. I mean, the social aspect clearly for both of us in very different ways, but is is essential. Um, so you know, setting up other kinds of small. Like, not discouraging, but supportive structures. All right, it's time for Steal This. Amateur poets borrow. Professional poets steal. What have you come across in your wanderings and readings that you would like to take and make your own? I'll start. Okay. Um, I just read and listened to a wonderful novel called Dear Edward. Um, pretty new. And... Um, one of the interesting things it did is it, so it goes back and forth between sort of one central traumatic event uh, that's over a period of hours on one day and then um, kind of the post, post events of that event um, that take place over several years, maybe three or four. Uh-huh. So maybe three. So, um, so it, and so you start in the same moment, because both narratives start in one moment, and then they kind of branch, and one's going very slowly through those few hours, right, really p- parsing those few hours, and the other is going the way a novel does through num- through years, where it's going into scene, and then we're moving through time, right, and all of that. So really interesting kind of structurally, and the weaving back and forth of past and present in a way, because mm-hmm. one narrative quickly goes w- ahead of the other. And toward the end of the book, it kind of talks about the way in which that traumatic event is is ongoing, and it's in some way it's ongoing, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it kind of brings together psychologically and emotionally the structure of the book. It kind of it gives it a psychological and emotional motivation. Like there's a way in which that traumatic event is always happening, 
at the same time as there's all of this, at the same time as the survivor has to keep living forward right. into, into the rest of life. So I loved that. And it was very explicit. And one of the things I'm learning in these post MFA decades is that it's okay to be explicit. You know, if you're doing all the wonderful things that a novel does, like creating worlds and characters and nuance and detail and you earn it, but yeah, then you earn it and you can be like, here's this really great insight or great idea. And, um, you can't hammer them home like over and over again because it gets esoteric and abstract, but, but you can own up to them Mm -hmm. and, um, and it's very powerful. Right on. Yeah. So I wanted to steal that. Well, I'm going to steal something via you, via John August and Craig Mazin, via Phoebe (laughs) Waller-Bridge. And so this is your recap of that, which was just, you know, she has this, uh, they had this conversation about breaking the fourth wall. And then the moment when the priest character kind of catches her breaking the fourth wall and Watching Fleabag, we had that same sort of like, oh my God, kind of wonderful experience uh, that it sounds like Craig and John experienced. And the thing that was wonderful about it is that it was so also rooted in the story so that you had a sense of just how intimate she was with this guy because he called her out, right? Mm -hmm. That became a motivated use of the tool. And that's part of what really blew my mind. Um, But she described it as kind of having had the idea and thinking, wouldn't that be cool? And so I kind of want to steal following the fun in your creativity Mm. because you probably are going to create something amazing and wonderful. And it's so hard when we get out of the moment, we're like, well, it's probably been done and other people are better at it and what da da da. And it's like, who cares if it tickles your creative, you know, funny bone or your fancy, then follow it and enjoy it. And so, um, you know, ours have sort of a commonality because they're, they're all, they're about that place where narrative, um, innovation or structure meets, the character's psychology and the mm-hmm. emotional meaning of the story and letting that be kind of at play in all the aspects mm-hmm. you know, in, in the structure and in the in the execution as well as in the characters and in the story. Right. And when you've done that, it removes it from a, a you device. know, a game of a, a device or a game of style, right? Where people are just like, well, this is just sort of a surface thing. But when you take it and you really root it in that, it's it becomes so, so powerful. And actually, I mean, just this is very exciting. This might be its own topic, <laughs> but just like, you know, in the same way that like what I've learned from our re- deepening conversations sort of through book in a year and, mm. and those ideas about the way that character and sort of plot are so inextricably linked. They can't be separate. You can't be like, whoa, 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 like let's just pull them apart, right? Right. And and this is like bringing in form too and saying, okay, form can be as um, inextricable from character and, and plot and as motivated by like how would this character have to tell or understand or live this story, these events? And that's going to be, the style and the mm. structure as well as the actual plot as well as the actual character. So exciting. Bum, bum, bum. Well, until next week, we hope everyone is staying safe, staying distant, and to the best of your ability, staying creative. <laughs>